this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and today I'm going to talk about my March the Machine first impressions. Unusually, the notes are not available at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes today because I have not taken any. I am uh, nine hours into streaming the early access event on Arena. So I've drafted whatever number of times I had time for, and I've played with the set for nine hours. And so I'm going to talk about uh, my impressions of the set so far. So first and foremost, I think that this is a set that, as the mechanics pretty clearly indicate, uh, getting onto the battlefield uh, as soon as possible, is of the utmost importance. Um, that's been true in most limited sets for the last year plus, and with battles to uh, fight over and convoke as a pretty important mechanic in the set, that is uh, at least as true as it has been. I'm reasonably interested in most creatures that cost one mana just to start getting creatures into play immediately. And I'm generally interested in curving out and not interested in stumbling. As a result, I believe that I generally will prefer to play two color decks. However, this set does have a lot of uh, weird, powerful gold cards and a decent amount of fixing. So I don't think Multicolored decks are unplayable, and I wouldn't be surprised if I find myself drawn to them at some point in this format. However, I don't think that, that you should like go into multicolor without a very good reason. I think that you really need to be getting paid off with high rarity powerful cards to justify having a mana base that will stop you from simply curving out as frequently as possible. I think that it's really easy to get ahead and stay ahead uh, if you can just, you know, curve out one, two, three, or whatever, and then start playing and resolving battles or uh, convoking stuff. I've been pretty impressed, unsurprisingly, with combat tricks. Uh, the existence of battles, of course, makes blocking more common because, of course, a creature connecting with a battle has a more immediate impact than a creature connecting with a player's life total when they're at 17 or whatever. And so when a creature is attacking a battle, it often behooves the opponent to try to block, creating opportunities for either player to use combat tricks. Notably, I have found Aerial Boost, that's one in a white or uh, an instant with Convoke and target creature gets plus two, plus two and gains flying until end of turn to be pretty impressive just in terms of its ability to kill a creature while you're tapped out when your opponent, you know, thinks you can't really do anything. Like if you just play a creature, play another creature, tap out for a creature, your opponent maybe attacks with a flyer and then you tap two of your creatures to aerial boost your last creature and you block and their flyer dies and trading a card in hand and no mana for uh, a creature that is in play and attacking you is more or less always a good exchange. So it's an example of how Invoke can be pretty powerful. 
And in addition to Convoke and Battle, Backup, the mechanic that allows you to put a plus one, plus one counter or N plus one, plus one counters on another creature and then graft some text onto them for the turn uh, is another mechanic that makes the set more aggressive, both because uh, putting a counter on a creature that can attack uh, your opponent's often going to choose to put that counter somewhere that gives them an attack where they didn't previously have one. And then also the grafted text gives abilities only on your turn, meaning you need to engage in combat to get something out of them. So uh, any deck with a lot of backup is in the market to attack. For those of you who are hoping for a slower format than Phyrexia All Will Be One, uh, there are some saving graces here. Battles, of course, uh, if you if your plan is to flip a battle, then you have essentially given your opponent some life as a free gift uh, in exchange for whatever you're getting out of the backside of the battle. And the fact that you are, uh, you know, devoting some of your attack steps to attacking objects that aren't your opponent means that, uh, you know, players functionally start with a little bit more life. Whereas when people sometimes die to poison, they functionally start with a little bit less life. So uh, that means that the game has the uh, opportunity to go a little bit longer, um, so you can at least cast some more expensive spells. I think that what we're going to see with the way in which battles and convoke and stuff lead you to play to the board is that the games are going to last more turns, but they might be largely decided before they're over, because someone will get way ahead before the game actually ends because of the extra value they've gotten from Convoke and from resolving their battles. However, the fact that the game hasn't actually ended means that there's more of a chance for really high-impact rares, sweepers, even high-impact commons like Alabaster Host Intercessor, the uh, six-mana white 3-4 with plane cycling that uh, exiles a creature and opponent controls uh, when it enters the battlefield, um, as long as you control it, has the opportunity to recover and swing the game back in your favor. And the fact that your life total is a little bit less consistently and directly uh, pressured means that you're going to get a little bit more chance than you would in a format like Phyrexia All Will Be One to play some of that more expensive stuff. So while... I think that you want to focus on having a bunch of early stuff so that you don't fall behind um, and you can, you know, snowball yourself. Uh, there is space in the format for expensive cards, especially expensive cards that can recover when you're on the back foot uh, to have a place. Convoke also, as with battles, can lead to the game going a little bit longer because sometimes instead of attacking, you'll use your creatures for mana to convoke something out. And that's, again, just giving your opponent a little bit of life. Obviously, Convoke is a lot better on instance because then you can use a creature to block or threaten to block and then also effectively use it for mana. So just something to think about when you're building a deck with a lot of Convoke is think about uh, you know when you're going to be Convoking, when you're going to be casting your spells, whether you want to give up damage. Basically, like if you have a Convoke deck with a lot of instants, then you're going to want to have and prioritize cheap creatures, but you're also going to be planning to have some turns where you just kind of hang back and play defense, then cast your instants. So just think about what that's going to mean in terms of like what your end game looks like and where you're going with it.
this convoke. You know, like if you're curving out and then you stop attacking your opponent, why? What happens when they just cast their more expensive spells than you? Um, what? Why are you winning that long game? Uh, there are plenty of ways to answer that question, but it's just something to keep in mind while you're drafting the convoke decks. This set has some tribal stuff going on, uh, mostly if not exclusively with. Phyrexians, and oh, and also knights, and there might be a little bit of uh, other stuff. There's a blue-white knight lord and some other knights matter stuff, and then there are some cards that are a little, like generically interested in creature types, and uh, some that specifically call it Phyrexians. Overall, I certainly wouldn't think of this as a tribal set, but you do want to pay attention to some of that creature types matters type stuff. Removal in the format, I think, is pretty good. You have the Fara's Dispersal is a little bit like uh, cheaper Buried in books. It's um, three to bounce a creature uh, and Surveil two, but it's only one if that creature is attacking. So costs two less mana than Buried in books, but puts the creature in your opponent's hand instead of in their library, but you also get to Surveil. Uh, Cut Short is another really good, efficient uh, removal spell that plays better in defense. That's two and a white for an instant with Convoke. Uh, destroy target uh, Planeswalker that was activated or tapped uh, this turn or tapped creature. So good defensive removal there. Black has two mana instant, slightly better vicious offering, uh, minus two, minus two, or you can sack a creature to you minus six, minus six. I know Vicious Offering has always impressed me. I assume the black version will also be good. Uh, that's Final Flourish. And red, Volcanic Spite is the uh, removal spell that's really stood out to me. Two mana, three damage to a creature, Planeswalker, or Battle, and then you can uh, bottom a card from your hand to draw a card to a little rummage-type action that doesn't uh, get from your graveyard. And then the big red removal spell is Shatter the Source, which is six mana, but it has Convoke, and it's an instant. Six damage to a creature, Planeswalker, or Battle, or destroy target artifact. Remarkably close to just killing anything in red uh, for six mana, but it's not a real six mana. And then green also has good efficient removal uh, in the form of like two mana bite spell, cosmic hunger, target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to another creature, planeswalker, or battle. And then some more stuff at higher rarities. So Every color has, that was far from an exhaustive list of removal or anything, just to say that every color does have efficient removal. You know, white has a pacifism type variant and uh, all the stuff you'd expect there. Blue also has like a couple of different uh, auras that, you know, try to answer creatures. Other stuff that I've seen. Oh, I suppose I should probably talk about Incubate. I've generally been pretty impressed with Incubate, especially things that incubate for high numbers. Um, there are a bunch of like enchantments and stuff that like incubate four through six or four or five usually, and then give you some kind of ability related to uh, your Phyrexians or transforming or whatever. And while, you know, there are uh, things that punish tokens, like the blue uh, bounce spell that I talked about before, as well as temporal cleansing, which is a blue sorcery for mana with Convoke that uh, puts a thing on the second from the top or on the bottom of its owner's library, there, there are some things that uh, are good answers to the tokens, but for the most part, you know, they're like 
you're not getting two for one or whatever, right? Like you, your opponent still spent a card and you're, uh, you know, down one object. Sometimes it might be a little bit more efficient or whatever, but it's not, you know, devastating. And uh, the large-ish tokens, whatever they're called, incubate tokens, Phyrexian tokens, you know, they're big creatures, they fight well. And the decks that make a bunch of those things and trigger some of those enchantments a bunch or get value out of those enchantments a bunch. I have not explored it super deeply, but the, like, red-black sacrifice space seems very well supported. A lot of different, like, ways to sack things and minor triggers. Threaten specifically is not the main payoff here because the red feel of creature that exists in the set is an uncommon. I think a lot of it is just kind of, you know, generating, like, damage and a bit of generic value, I guess. Can't really speak to that in detail at this point. I would say that my my best decks so far have been uh, in the blue-white uh, knight aggro convoke space, I think. I tried really to prioritize uh, like one and two drops as much as possible while drafting that deck, and I liked the results, but I did find it difficult to get as many as I wanted, even when I was prioritizing them, which is to say I would continue prioritizing them, but I might not expect to be able to have uh, kind of the like super low curves that I think you could sort of count on in uh, Brothers War and Phyrexia will be one. I, I think that in general, it is harder. There are, I think there are just fewer cards, fewer good cards that cost like one or two mana in this set than there were in Brothers War and Phyrexia will be one, which uh, will have the effect of slowing the format down just because, you know, even if you want to have a lower curve and a faster deck, you simply won't have the option most of the time. Another thing that's going to, you know, substantially inform the, like, overall pace of the game and the amount of time that you have to do your stuff. One lesson that I learned the hard way, Phyrexian Sensor, that's uh, two and a white for a 3-3 Phyrexian Wizard. Uh, each player can't cast more than one non-Phyrexian spell each turn, and non-Phyrexian creatures enter the battlefield tapped. Watch out for this one, because your battles are probably not Phyrexian spells, and if you cast a battle and then immediately attack the battle, and then defeat the battle, you will be asked to cast the other side of the battle. However, the Phyrexian sensor will not allow you to do that, and your battle will simply be exiled. So be careful if you are playing against a Phyrexian sensor to avoid killing your battles the turn that you play them. Also, uh, some decks are very heavily Phyrexian, and most decks are not. So uh, Phyrexian sensor is, uh, I think, pretty good against a large number of opponents, and you know, worst case, assuming it's not hurting you much because you're mostly Phyrexian, you get a three-three for three. So strong uncommon. Blue, the uncommon I want to point out is Artistic Refusal. This is the six mana Convoke, choose one or both, counter target spell, draw two cards, then discard a card. Uh, multiple viewers have compared it to Sublime Epiphany with Convoke. Uh, obviously, its actual impact on a game is not as dramatic as Sublime Epiphany. However, if you are playing somewhat defensively, it is 
pretty easy to hold this up and counter a spell draw a card is a pretty big swing. So I've, I've been very happy with Artistic Refusal. Um, I think it's a pretty good card. Another Convoke card uh, uncommon that I've liked a lot is Astral Wingspan. This is the five mana Convoke Enchant Creature. Uh, when an ETBs draw a card, Enchanted Creature gets plus two, plus two, and flying. The Convoke decks in particular are pretty good at like going wide and having creatures that don't really matter, and plus two, plus two, and flying makes basically anything matter. You don't really have to worry about like getting blown out because you are putting it on an object that you didn't invest a lot in to begin with. And this has replaced itself. And with Convoke, it's not as expensive as it looks. So pretty good card all around. I don't have a ton of experience with the black uncommons. I think most of the uncommon battles are pretty good. That includes, um, you know, like the five mana fight battle and deal three battle um, in black fight battle in green i think that both six mana black uncommons merciless repurposing and uh Darkseen gargantua merciless repurposing being six mana instant exile creature incubate three and gargantua being six mana four four etb lose two draw two i think these are both like pretty good i don't think that they're too slow for the format like i said uh i think that while you want cheap stuff the game goes long enough that um you can use these things and they are both pretty powerful effects red uncommons i would say the standouts for me have been furnace gremlin uh that's one in red for a one two firexian gremlin you can spend one in red to give it plus one plus out until end of turn and when it dies incubate x where x is its power they're just you know a lot of it's not hard for this creature to trade there are a bunch of x ones that are reasonably interested in getting into combat and then if you ever have mana up it trades with whatever and then leaves you a you know bigger incubator the more you have to pump it and you know when you're looking for sacrifice value and everything really just great with what red's trying to do as well as just being a good card on its face and then stoke the flames of course great that's a reprint four mana convoke deal for to any target sandstalker moloch is a green four two flash for one gg um this is part of the cycle of cards that are functional against anyone but at their best against uh, enemy colors every time i've played against this it seemed like my opponent has effortlessly triggered it I, i've maybe just been drafting blue too much but it's been good against me Invasion of New Capenna. Uh, most of the battles are pretty good. Invasion of New Capenna is exceptionally cheap. It costs only white-black. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice an artifact or creature. When you do, exile target artifact or creature an opponent controls. This is a Rites of Oblivion, but instead of flashback, it is the battle with a backside that is an equipment that is only one mana to equip, and whenever a creature attacks, Put a plus one plus one counter on that creature and each other creature you control that shares a type with it. So really exceptional if you have a bunch of Phyrexians, for example. Really great card on the front and back for only two mana. I've seen this going later than I would. But I've seen it going late enough that I was frustrated that I couldn't take it because I wasn't white black. Kind of the way that gold cards are going to go. But I do think that Invasion of New Penna is a card but I'd be reasonably happy to take very early in a draft as a reason to go white-black, which is not the case for a lot of the uncommon battles. And that really covers 
my first impressions so far. A lot of it is kind of what I expected from just kind of the general, like the mechanics of the set more than the cards in particular. Of course, the fact that I expected this and then have seen it isn't really strong evidence that like I was right because I'm not working off of any data. I'm only working off of my own experiences. And, you know, I was drafting for like based on my expectations and then seeing how those played out. And like, you know, it would be possible, I guess, to have had a set of experiences that convinced me that I was wrong about all that. But for the most part, it would be it would be difficult in one day. I suppose it is worth noting also um, that because there are a bunch of creatures that you can spend mana to transform them into Phyrexians, as well as a bunch of incubation tokens that you can spend mana to turn into creatures it is a lot easier to spend mana in the late game than it was in some other sets. Most notably, Phyrexia will be one, is a set that was very, very low on mana sinks, and as a result, spheres, which were kind of horrible to have to play early in that format, were like your way of dealing with Flood. Uh, another way in which this set is really different from uh will be one is that it's really easy to find stuff to spend your mana on going late which uh allows you to build decks that want to play a late game and then take advantage of those mana sync. so um i do think that while this set has some amount of danger of being snowbally i think it's gonna be a Significant departure in a lot of ways from uh, what we've seen with Phyrexia Obi-Wan. So, all of that said, let's turn it over to uh, chat for questions. So, as I said, we're now about nine and a half hours into a stream. So, I think uh, several viewers have already been watching a lot of my drafts. Maybe some here from other channels have watched some other players. People are free to ask questions informed by what you've seen. I'll just make sure to give anyone listening who hasn't seen it a bit of background on any such questions. Um, so yeah, uh, hit me with your best shot. <laughs> what would it take for me to pick slash play a battle? I would have to see a good battle in a pack. Many of them are good. I, I think that um, I mentioned this at some point earlier uh, that I think people want to talk about battles as if they're all one thing and they are not the question about you know how highly do you value battles is i mean i guess there's something coherent about the question how highly do you value creatures or how highly do you value enchantments like there are ways that you can address those questions in meaningful ways but for the most part each card should be evaluated on its own merits. Some decks will be better uh, at flipping battles and some will be worse. But uh, early in a draft, you will often need to decide whether you want to battle before you know what your deck is. So I would say, you know, the, the, the individual battles range in power level. Mentioned uh, you would like most of the one drops. Does... Uh, 
Placid Rotten Tail seem to have a role to play in this format in green, or is it too bad on rate? So Placid Rotten Tail is a 1-1 Vigilance for 3, and then when it's in your graveyard, you can spend 3 mana and exile it from your graveyard to put 2 plus 1 plus 1 counters on target creature as a sorcery. Uh, the It is also a very cute fungus rabbit. <laughs> the uh, biggest problem with Placid Rotten Tail is that it is neither in the Jeskai colors, which seem to be where the Convoke is, nor is it in red black, which is where most of the um like sacrifice value stuff is. However, green black or green does have surveil. So there are like some amount of like graveyard matters things, and there are like a handful of cards that mill. Uh, I would not want to play Placid Rotten Tail if my plan was to self-mill is in blue-black, so yet another color pair that Placid Rotten Tail isn't in. I wouldn't want to play Placid Rotten Tail if my plan was always just to like put it into play and then try to find a way to like trade off with it or chump block with it and then use it for my graveyard. But if I had reason to believe that I was placing it directly in my graveyard some portion of the time, uh, or if I had a lot of Convoke, I could see playing with it. Um, or a lot of ways to put counters on it. It is, you know, Vigilance is a decent keyword to uh, stack counters on. So, yeah, it does look like it's primarily intended for green-white counters decks as a good, like, place to put counters and then a source of more counters. Um, and then it's also going to let you Convoke your white Convoke stuff there. So probably pretty good in green-white. Probably not a card you want to play if your deck isn't, you know, specifically looking for this sort of thing for some reason. I suspect it green-white sounds like the primary place where you're going to end up playing with it. With so many mana sinks, could it be right or more than uh, for more than the usual number of decks to play 18 lands and try to hit land drops really consistently? Yes. Yes, it could. Given how important curving out is, the more the format is about curving out, uh, the less it means that it's really like more of an, a tempo format than an attrition format, especially because tempo translates directly to value via battles. And in general, the more a format is tempo, the more you want high lands, whereas the more the format is attrition, the more you want low lands. That's not necessarily clear and obvious because it gets muddled a lot by the fact that curve dictates land count more than the tempo attrition spectrum but that is a true thing still and so between that fact and the mana sinks i could certainly see this being a highland format or at least supporting highland decks how impactful are the multiverse legends Comparable to other bonus sheets, commons still offer the primary texture to the set, but there are certainly some powerful cards that can swing games, uh, and then also some kind of filler cards that just like go around the table a bit and act sort of like normal cards in the set. Do any of the archetypes look like they don't really come together that well? I have not studied each of the archetypes in sufficient detail to say, to be honest. Do I have any bomb encounters? Uh, yes, I lost to Ragvan. 
it would have been easy to deal with Ragavan via blocking, except my opponent also had Tetsuko Umezawa, so it was unblockable. I think that that is just always going to be the case. Uh, in every limited set, there are bombs, and the bombs that exist win some portion of the games that they show up in. That portion is usually around 62 to 72% of the time. Um, what influence do you see the companions having, and which do you think are worth building around? The impact of companions in Limited is significantly lower post-companion nerf. They are now playable, but not super impressive. I tried drafting Amori just uh, for fun and to see how it goes, and it went very badly. I drafted Yorian and did not companion it. Uh, I think that there may be some, you know, decks that companion well. I think Loris is a card with a really high ceiling, but I haven't, you know, seen how, like, seen what the Loris decks end up looking like in this format specifically. Overall, I don't think companions are going to have a huge impact on this format, but I think that players who enjoy drafting around companions will have the opportunity to do so, and that they will have a win rate that is not particularly exceptional relative to, you know, having a different good card. Uh, cards that went down in evaluation. Most of the ones that went down in evaluation were cards that I misread, so I don't know how useful those are to list. Um, it, it's not like I misread them in ways where, like, I would expect other people to misread read them in the same ways. There were just cards that didn't do what I thought they did, and sometimes they did worse things, and sometimes they did better things. A lot of appealing gold sheet rares, etc. Should players be less willing to commit to colors early and the fixing support, uh, pivoting, splashing? I don't know that the set is like wildly different than most other sets in terms of like incentive to splash. I think that splashing and pivoting are both supported in normal amounts. You know, like I, I think that. Curving out is important. Having a stable mana base is important to do that. Powerful incentives can justify uh, playing extra colors. I don't think that Skittering Surveyor is going to be picked as highly as it was in original Dominaria. Our level of cards in this set is higher, uh, so Skittering Surveyor is not as good, relatively speaking, um, just on you know raw power level. And therefore, uh, it'll go a little bit later, and therefore, it'll be a little bit easier for people who are looking for it to splash when they need to. So, as far as like, should you commit less in anticipation of this stuff? Uh, you know, like with anything, only commit as much as you're getting paid to commit. Are uncommon battles overall worth it to play? Yes. A majority of the uncommon battles are playable. I think sealed is more or less favorable to companioning Yorian. <sighs> more? But like... The reason that I think sealed is more favorable to companioning Yorian is that there's no opportunity cost to attempting and failing to companion Yorian. Like... With sealed... You just look at what your deck is with Yorian and look at it without Yorian and decide which one's better. With Draft, you have to decide whether you're like trying to companion Yorian or not. 
And if you are, you have to like take some spells over some lands so that you have like enough spells to get to your playable number and like, uh, you know, not prioritize sideboard cards so that you can have more main deck cards. And then like, maybe your colors aren't open and you find out somewhere halfway through the draft that you're not actually going to get to companion Yorian and some of your picks were suboptimal for the non Yorian deck. So like there is a cost to attempting to Yorian that exists in draft that doesn't exist in sealed. And therefore there's a lower cost to like maybe companioning Yorian and sealed. Does combat matter? <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is limited combat uh and how you block always matters in limited and battles substantially increase how much it matters could counter spells be better in this format due to them being uh better concealed through incubate tokens and they could be good answers in a bomb heavy format and on top of all that uh you can counter the back side of a battle which is not as good as countering the front side of the battle but is sometimes something that you can anticipate in terms of like knowing, oh, this is a thing that they're going to cast and I'm going to want to counter it. Yes, there are instant speed mana sinks and that helps counter spells. On the other hand, it's worth noting that there are also sorcery speed mana sinks that some, where sometimes people spend their turn activating their transform abilities on their creatures instead of casting spells. And if you pass for the counter spell hoping to... Uh, counter your opponent's use of mana that turn, and then they just uh, transform a creature instead, you won't have an opportunity to use your counterspell, which will make it worse than normal. So I don't know. Counterspells are fine. Land cycling, common cycle seems strong. Thoughts on these? Spending mana to land cycle does suck. I do like cards that can, you know, both fix and be high impact and cards that like help if you have low land numbers and high land numbers but spending two mana to find a land is very much a failure state i think that the cards are fine i think that you shouldn't play all of them that you have access to i should i think that sometimes you will draft them and they won't make your deck even if you are playing their colors but they do add a nice bit of consistency and fixing when that's what you're looking for question about a heuristic for evaluating how much a battle's defense impacts the value like your evaluation of the strength of the battle relative to like what you get for defeating it uh no i, I don't have a heuristic it's very much just like all the cards all the contexts are different Play with them a little bit and you'll get a sense of which battles are good every number on a magic card matters but like most numbers aren't directly translatable to other numbers yeah th th there's not a simple answer for that one or how do you think the differences between draft and sealed play out in this set uh specifically curving out and color splashing i think that curving out is just fundamentally important in a format with battles and convoke so that will be true in sealed uh, and in draft. Like cheap creatures are going to be better in the sealed format than they are in some sealed formats. Uh, splashing is like, you'll know exactly what you can get for your splashes. Uh, playing your powerful cards is, you know, always good if you can get away with it in sealed. 
I think that there will be more three color decks in sealed than in draft. That's not really surprising or like that's not a hot take. That's just kind of how sealed goes. I don't I don't have special insight on sealed in this format, having not played any of it. Uh, this is more of a two drops are vital format, like last set or a low priority, say Kami. Uh, two drops are vital. Talk about the vehicle that taps for mana. Do only specific types of decks want this card? I think that uh, it's so. This is the two mana, three two vigilance, true one. The taps to add mana of any color, if and only if it's a creature. Uh, flywheel racer. Um, so this is like a two colorless Jaspera Sentinel uh, that is a through two vehicle, but you know, you're basically tapping this and another creature to add a mana. That is a mana creature instead of a one mana creature. That's a mana creature. Obviously spending more mana for your mana creatures is really bad, but being colorless rather than green is a big deal. Um, and uh, I, I like this thing if you have a lot of one drops, but it's not, trivial to have a lot of one drops in this set i think flywheel racer is like very good if you have like four plus ones um but while i would be happy to have four or more ones in a lot of decks i don't think that you're going to succeed at getting that in a lot of decks and so i don't think that you should prioritize racer unless you like really need the fixing until you have a bunch of one drops already Mentioned exploring in the blue white convoke space. Should you only look to play high impact convoke cards, or will any convoke cards at all suffice? Or Halo Hopper does not appear upon first impression to be high impact. Halo Hopper is another one that's largely a function of how many ones you have. Like if you can actually cast it on turn two, it's pretty good. I don't think that Halo Hopper is a priority. Uh, I do think that. Um, like how impactful is this card isn't the primary thing that i'm looking at with convoke cards like you know plus two plus two and flying trick is generally a low impact card but i think it's a good convoke card you do want to think about like you know the, so what's going on with the convoke deck is you're trying to balance your uh you know enablers which is just any creature but ideally cheap creatures and creatures that make tokens and your payoffs which are things that have convoke which are going to be expensive creatures or spells of any sort that have convoke and then those spells aren't helping you convoke other stuff so you can't afford to play too many spells with convoke because if you draw all convoke spells and not creatures then you just have a bunch of overcosted cards that suck so you, so you need to figure out like what's the greatest number of convoke cards that you can play and then you want to play the better ones and not the worst ones and that's where you get into this like high impact thing where you need to be you know a little choosy about your convoke cards just because your deck only gets so many convoke cards because you need the rest of it to be creatures. And, you know, the removal and stuff that you're playing basically cuts into your convoke cards slots because each of those also makes your other convoke cards worse. So in that way, you do want your convoke cards to be high impact. They're really, you want them to just like be good. Halo Hopper is different than the other Convoke stuff in that it is both a payoff, you know, a card with Convoke, and an enabler, a cheap creature. So Halo, Halo Hopper is good if you are, like, very Convokey. If you have, like, a lot of token creatures, a lot of one-drops, 
you're going to be able to like get it into play without tapping a lot of mana and then you're going to be able to use that to cast other spells awesome uh otherwise um you know i, I think halo hopper isn't a great rate so it needs like an exceptional reason to be playable and that would qualify you know if you have like a lot of good setup and payoff for convoking all right that's gonna wrap it up thanks everyone for tuning in and i will be back less than a week from now uh on wednesday to record my first um archetype breakdown i certainly don't know which archetype i will be talking about at this point um but i will by then um this of course uh as usual i will not be using a poll to decide the uh archetype for the first episode that'll just be whatever i feel like i have enough experience to talk about and we will go from there um so thanks for listening everyone i hope you're excited to get to play with this new set and i'll be back soon bye for now prepare for light speed